The Athletic. Hello and welcome to The View from the Lane, a Tottenham Hotspur podcast from The Athletic. My name is Jack Pitbrook, and I'm joined for now by James Moore and later in the show by Optus Duncan Alexander. Now, James, it's been a busy week. We'll come on to the Fulham game later on, but you must be feeling pretty positive after yesterday's win at Sheffield United. Yeah, I, I mean, I thought it was a, a much better performance and a lot, a lot of the kind of criticisms we've levelled at the team in the last few weeks, you know, particularly the kind of sitting back and being passive in the second half. I don't really think you could kind of fairly say applied to this match. I mean, maybe there was like a five-minute spell where it kind of felt like they, they kind of sat in a little bit and that probably was the spell in which Sheffield United scored their goal. But I mean, more or less immediately after that, it kind of felt like they went out on the front foot again. I, I think it was a fairly comfortable win. I, I, you know, I, I know Sheffield United have had a, a dreadful season, but I think it's quite important to look at the manner in which they've been losing. This isn't like a sort of Derby County 2007-2008 kind of situation. They've been, I think they've pretty much always been in the game until the end, you know, even against the best teams. You know, they played Manchester United kind of at the height of United's form just before Christmas and lost 3-2 at home having led and then kind of come back and whatever. So they've kind of always been in games. I think from having a look through the results uh, yesterday, I think it's the fourth time they've conceded three goals in a game this season and only the fifth time they've lost by more than a single goal. So, you know, I don't think you can look at it and sort of dismiss it as just being a kind of comfortable win against the poor side. You know, they're a sort of decent side who just aren't winning matches, which I I don't think you just dismiss it entirely on the basis of them being shit is what I'm saying. Yeah, I think that's fair enough. I think people watch more Sheffield United than I do, but it seems to me like their main issue is they've replaced a good goalkeeper with a bad one. But the bigger picture is Tottenham. And yeah, I agree with you. I think there was that five-minute wobble where it looked like, oh my God, it's going to be like Fulham, Wolves and Crystal Palace all over again. When McGoldrick scored that header, and you know, I did think it was a bad goal for Spurs to concede. And probably they probably got what they deserved for taking their eye off the ball for a few minutes. But taking the performance overall... Yeah, really good. Good to see Tottenham play like that, and particularly in a away game and in a competitive away game. Thought the change of system worked well. Thought they could have created more chances than they did. There are quite a few moments I think Spurs where they were, you know, they had a three on three or a four on three, and the final pass wasn't right or the finish wasn't right. And on you know on another day they would have created and scored more. One moment that I think we have to get straight into really is the goal from Ndombele which was just incredible like I'm sure that everyone who is listening to this podcast has seen it many times I don't need to describe it suffice to say that it was just an amazing piece of imagination and execution like I don't think anybody anybody watching it anywhere in the world thought that was on when he did it and that's always you know for me as a fan or for I think for a lot of fans one thing that I love watching in football is being surprised like it's seeing seeing a really good player do something and thinking Christ like I had no idea he was going to even try that whether it's a pass or a type of finish or a skill like being surprised is great it's I mean it is why we like football and I can't James when were you last can you think of any other goal Spurs goal that was as as surprising as that well it's interesting you mentioned that surprise factor because that 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 ties into a thing that I quite often tweet which is Sometimes when you see a lot of people describe a goal as amazing before you've actually seen it, when you then watch it, it doesn't seem quite as good because you've kind of gone in with the expectation of it being amazing and you know there's going to be a goal. So I kind of actually feel like that goal, if I hadn't seen it live and I'd seen a lot of tweets about it and then I'd watched it on a match of the day or whatever in that evening, 
I'd, I'd kind of almost probably be a little bit underwhelmed by it. But I think it's the fact that it, it was so sort of instantaneous. It came at exactly the right moment of the game for Spurs, obviously, not long after they'd conceded that goal. And it, it's just like, it was the last thing you really expected him to do in that situation, wasn't it? It almost kind of felt like, you know, his body shape was it, kind of such that it looked like he was going to kind of like control the ball and sort of run away from goal. I, I guess with the idea of kind of arcing his run back and then crossing the ball to someone on his right boot. But to, to kind of hook that shot across, to have the kind of presence of mind to do that, and, and I'm 100% convinced it is what he meant to do. I know Graham Sooners on Sky afterwards suggesting perhaps it wasn't, but I really don't think... If you look at his body position, like the way he looks across the players that are in the penalty area, and there aren't really any, really. I think Reggion is kind of just on the edge of the six-yard box, but I don't think he was the player he was aiming for there. I mean, ironically, I think the only other player in the Spurs squad who would even consider doing something like that would be Deli Ali, And he's probably the one, that, that goal at Palace is probably, and you know the one I'm talking about, I'm sure, is probably the one I would say sort of evoked similar emotions. Although again, I mean, that wasn't a goal that I saw live because it was a Saturday three o'clock. And obviously I have a moral objection to streaming, of course. So yeah, that was another one that I didn't see live, but that would be the one that I kind of think it would be sort of in the same ballpark as, as far as Spurs are concerned. Yeah, it was. I think you're right about Delhi. Like, so the the last time I think I saw a Spurs goal that made me think, Christ, how did he do that? Was the when Kane scored at Leicester in about September-ish 2019, oh, yeah. where he was toppling over and smashed the ball into the grounds and it bounced up over Kasper Schmeichel. That was really good. That was good. That's kind of weirdly graceless, that though, wasn't it? I mean, it, this was like, it looked amazing. I'm not sure that Kane one really looked amazing. It was amazing, but I'm not sure it looks great. Yeah, and you had to, yeah. And also with the Kane one, you had to figure out what he'd done, whereas the Ndombele one, it, there, I think Ndombele has a lot more wow factor. Uh, yeah, and that's why that's why I loved it so much. But this goal, as well as being a great goal and a really important goal, also underlines a really important point for Spurs, which is that this is a team that really needs Ndombélé at his top level to be good. Because you know we always say on this podcast that they need more contributions from the guys who aren't Son and Kane, because Son and Kane are doing all the goal scoring and all the assisting, and and Lacelso, Lucas, Bale, Delhi, Bergwin are all having their, their own different issues at the moment. And so a guy like Ndombele scoring a brilliant individual goal out of nowhere is actually what Spurs need to make the team work. Um, and that's why I think, it, and it, you know, it ties into the fact that this is the best Ndombele that we've seen. He's the guy who, this is his first time he's played in 19 minutes in the Premier League since Norwich City away, Christmas 2019. That's more than a year ago. It's a game so long ago that Vertonghen, Foyth, Sessegnon, Christian Eriksen and Deli Ali all started for Tottenham. Even Deli Ali. Yeah, it's a re- truly another era. And yeah, Jose was really, really positive about Ndombele afterwards. And every week now, I think we're seeing a slightly better Ndombele to the point where I really believe that the big investment in money and time the club have put into him in the last 18 months is starting to be starting to be repaid. Yeah, well, I mean, we're definitely starting to see the Ndombele that we, we were talking about wanting to see so often last season. Last season, we were really kind of clinging to those little flashes that you saw and you know, the kind of drag backs and step overs and some of the little skills he was doing that illustrated the fact he was clearly massively talented but they were just that they were just flashes now what we're seeing is him I mean maybe not quite run games yet but we're seeing him as like a difference maker and and a player who will affect every single game he plays in you know whether it be goals or assists or just kind of creating chances that that kind of do end up getting spurned he is making a big difference now and I I think like you say 
they really needed that. They really needed someone else to come in and, and kind of show those moments of genius that, that can make a difference in a tight game. And I don't think it was an especially tight game yesterday, really. I think Spurs were, like I say, for the most part, quite comfortable. But put it simply, they need a third goal scorer in that team. And we, we spoke about that two or three weeks ago. And I think Bale was the one we all kind of said uh, perhaps would be the one in the second half of the season who would step up. But actually, no, I think if you look at Ndombele, I'm not, if Charlie was here, he'd know exactly how many goals he scored. And I reckon you and I between us aren't going to know. He's got three. In, that was his third in the league this season. Okay, fine. Good work. Uh, so yeah, we're halfway through the league season. We're just under halfway. And he scored, he scored half of that kind of half dozen of goals we were talking about. So... Yeah, I mean, I think if you finish a season on six, seven, eight goals, that would be a, a reasonably good return for the third player, wouldn't it? I think. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think ideally you'd want. I think Spurs are very unbalanced, and ideally they want they'd want midfielders to be chipping in with eight, ten. I think maybe next year Ndombélé will be getting up to that number. But I think what's really interesting about Ndombélé's form at the moment is it. I think it's very useful for Mourinho in a political sense because it reflects really well on Mourinho because Mourinho hammered Ndombélé last year, and now Ndombélé is much better. Like he's just a different player, and so Mourinho can say, and he does say this, that you know this proves that the door is always open, and that if a player works hard then he can earn his way back into the team. Like, Because I think if we, when we think about Mourinho in the last 10 years, one thing that we think about a lot is this idea of him taking against the player, cutting them out, you know, whether it's selling them like Salah and De Bruyne at Chelsea or just not really liking them like Pogba, Martial, Rashford at Man United. But then if Ndombele does well here, then Mourinho kind of hold this example up to the world and say, look, this guy figured it out, this guy can do it. I'm not, you know, young players can flourish under my management. And I think that's why it, it's a really, it's a positive story for Mourinho as well as a positive story for Ndombele, as long as the player cares enough. And that's why I think it was really interesting to hear Mourinho in the post-match press conference with, I think, what we can call a, a lightly coded warning to his players. And this came up when uh, our friend Dan Kilpatrick of the Evening Standard asked Mourinho what he thought Ndombele's best position was. Top players, they play in every position. Top players, they don't get excuses about the system, the position, the way the team plays. Top players, they play in every team, in every system, uh, with every with every coach. Uh, when sometimes I listen, player X is not playing well because the team plays this way or that way. That's bullshit. That uh, that is typical excuses from players entourage, uh, uh, directors without uh, any idea of what football is. That is just speculation. Uh, Tangi is a midfield player. Of course, if he plays right back or left back, it's difficult for him. But with his physical condition, uh, the way he is now, he can be uh, perfectly a midfield player like he was today. Uh, number 10 position with his creation and with, with this change of, um, of speed is also uh, very, very possible. I'm I'm very pleased with uh, with this performance today. There's some speculation around about whether Mourinho means Pogba or Delhi or Harry Winks or another player. You know, I don't know. I don't know exactly who he was getting at. I think you know there are lots of examples of players who might fit. But I think I think the conclusion is quite obvious, which is Mourinho saying to play you know, all players don't complain you know don't brief against me don't get upset about the style of play or the job I'm giving you to do or all the defensive instructions I'm lumping you with just do I say just basically just fucking get on with it I think that's really the essence of what Mourinho is saying and I wonder I wonder James whether that that message will get through to the other, the rest of Spurs players or not yeah I, I don't know I mean I 
I mean, aside from the fact that I don't really agree with it, because I, I, I definitely think, you know, you can see... I mean, I mean, well, okay, look, t- talk about Musa Sissoko when Mourinho first took over. And I'm sure you remember, Jack, in those early weeks, Mourinho talking about Musa Sissoko kind of having played out of position. I don't think, I, I think that happened, didn't it? I, I think that's something he said. Oh, yeah. Do you, I think he was talking about him playing kind of more as a sort of attacking midfield player or, or a right, right-sided attacking midfield player rather than playing in kind of that deeper two. And then one, obviously, he did persist with Sissoko in that deeper two, perhaps not necessarily through choice. And two hasn't really played him in that other position, ironically, until this week um, against Fulham. So, yeah, I kind of do think he, he's uh, maybe being slightly hypocritical there. He's sort of contradicting himself a little bit. To an extent, aren't you sort of almost undermining your own work as a manager there as well? You're kind of saying players are as good as players are. They should be able to play to the same level regardless of how the team is set up and how that, how, you know, how the manager gets the team to play. I mean, that does sort of seem like as a manager, you're kind of suggesting it's all sort of smoke and mirrors from your perspective, really. Yeah, I think it's this is not like a realistic way to, to look at football. I'm sure, you know, Mourinho didn't say it because it was true. He said it to prove a point, uh, which is often the way with Mourinho in press conferences. It's incredibly Harry Redknapp, by the way, that I like, you know, play, play, you know, you know, players are as good as players are. It's all about it's all about the players, how good they are. He actually explicitly said that, I think, Redknapp, didn't he? Once I, I think he said... It's, it's not about sort of tactics and whatever. It's just about the, the ability of the players. And I mean, I think the truth is probably somewhere between those two things because, you know, there's only so far... You probably look at Sheffield United, actually, from, from the last two seasons, you know, it was working up to a point with the players they had. And, you know, cl- clearly they found a system that worked incredibly well for them. But they've kind of hit the wall and now suddenly they can't win a game to follow up on the money other than against Newcastle, which, you know, maybe you could argue barely counts. Yeah, I think it's one ultimately one of those classic Mourinho bits where on the surface it's meant to look like he is diminishing his own importance. Like he's saying, oh, it's not about me. It's not about the managers. It's about the players. The players have to take responsibility. They have to perform. But in reality, we all know that this exists to kind of burnish his own sense of importance and his own reputation, doesn't it? It's about, you know, players ultimately do have to be loyal to what the manager tells them, in this case, me. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Let's get back to other positives because there were a few, a few other things I want to rattle through. Um, I thought Hoybjerg was really good, James, uh, in that midfield too. And Joe Roden, I thought, uh, second Premier League start from him. I, I love watching him play. I thought he was fantastic. There was a moment you, you messaged me, wasn't there, during a game to say that Joe Roden was sick? Um, yeah, he was Which sick. I know is a kind of terminology you use a lot. Uh, and that was when he kind of made that run kind of it was like it basically bailed Dyer out really didn't he but Dyer yeah, was struggling yeah. I guess it was up against McGoldrick yeah um, and McGoldrick had kind of burnt past Dyer and suddenly you thought oh blimey they're going to get caught out here but then Rodin kind of showed the pace that I guess we were kind of hoping he would have really I mean I think that could make quite a big difference as far as having someone like I mean obviously he was incredibly composed and good in the air and looked strong as well didn't look kind of overawed by playing against a big centre forward in the Premier League which I guess when you've played in the Championship you probably wouldn't but yeah, I think I think having that little bit of pace to kind of bail people out, I think would actually be incredibly useful because you know 
for all Dyer's improvements over the last 12 months or so playing at centre-back, he, he's never going to be quick. No, no, indeed not. I, so I tweeted during the game that he's now Spurs' best centre-back. I think that's probably a bit premature he's only played two Premier League I mean, games. It, it definitely is, mate. But I think he... I, I think that will be the case at the end of the season or, like, at the start of next season. I just think he, he just looks... I think he's better than Dyer, Alderweireld and Sanchez. Or I think he's got the potential to be better than those guys yeah. pretty soon. Yeah, I mean, I think the signs are all incredibly promising, but I, I think you need to see him play against... I mean, with all due respect, you need to see him play against a team who score goals. And obviously, Sheffield United have scored, I think, what, seven or eight in the league this season? So I think there are probably bigger challenges ahead. But I guess, you know, he, he played against Chelsea and they kept a clean sheet. So, yeah, it can't be all bad. Indeed not. Subs, James, this is one of the weird things I thought about the game was 87 <laughs> minutes was the first change from Mourinho. And I thought, why? you know, with Spurs 3 went up and cruising, why on earth would you not try someone else? It, it is incredible. Uh, and again, you know, this is another thing we've kind of touched on before earlier in the season. Uh, and I think it was a thing we talked about a lot in, in a kind of post-restart bit of last season, actually, that there seems to be a real reluctance for Mourinho to use that squad. Uh, they were never winning that game by more than two goals at any point. So I suppose he would argue that it was never a kind of done deal until right at the end. So he might not kind of want to weaken his team too much. And he might say, he might, you know pitch that as showing respect to Sheffield United maybe but you know you're a, you're a big club and you've got a big squad with a lot of big name players sat on the bench and I think it's incredible before we even get on to Dele Alli and Harry Winks not being on the bench you know you've got you've got Gareth Bale sat there on the bench he's barely played obviously we all have kind of theories on what's going on there and clearly there's an issue with like his sharpness if not fitness I think it's probably safe to say given what we've seen of him so far but that that is never going to come if he doesn't play that just won't he he will he won't improve beyond a certain point if he's not playing any minutes and like playing the last 15 minutes against Marine with all due respect isn't going to get him there he needs to be playing 15 20 30 minutes in the Premier League on a regular basis and that's the only way you're ever going to give him the opportunity to do it and if he can't play 20 25 minutes for half an hour against a team like Sheffield United who again you know with all due respect aren't scoring goals and didn't really look a massive threat in that game when is he going to play he just isn't going to get any opportunity and it seems mad that you know, you'd put Lucas on who, uh, you know, we we know he's had good moments as Spurs and we know what his weaknesses are. And I say his biggest weakness is, is inconsistency, really. So <laughs> I was about to say, you know what you're going to get with Lucas, but I guess you actually don't. But he's had opportunities and we kind of know what he is. And I just think like, surely it would have been more logical, even if only for those three minutes, chuck bail on and just see, you know, if there's a moment that can spark him into life that will give him more confidence and a bit of drive for the next game. But you've just, just been denied the opportunity. And I, I, that, that last substitution, Sanchez, Sanchez coming on for Davis in the third minute of three minutes injury time. I, I don't really see why you would do that. I, and I mean, maybe I'm doing Mourinho a disservice here, but I don't really see why you would do that unless it was to make a point to other players. Maybe not necessarily Bale. I don't know. But I don't really see, you know, Davis didn't look like he was injured or, you know, blowing or whatever. He looks he looks fine. It didn't look like there was like a, like some kind of, a tactical or a kind of fitness reason why that change would be made it just seemed like it was a third substitution for the sake of a third substitution that was that was being done to make a point I just you know it seems an odd one to me I, I you know for the club to have gone to all the effort of getting that loan deal done and you know I, we went on at a time about how it was a good deal financially for the club it was low risk but if he's not going to play any football over the course of the season then that £10 million or whatever it was we were saying it was going to cost 
is actually going to be a waste of money, which is mad, really, when you think about it. Yeah, it's it's strange, isn't it? If, if it has that feeling, or I think the whole season has that feeling, and you can, this is quite common in football, over the course of the season, the number of players who Mourinho can really rely on is getting smaller and smaller and smaller. For all the talk of rotation and everything, I actually I feel like there's only a handful of players who I think Mourinho is really fully sold on. And clearly, none of the forwards, apart from Bale and Son, sorry, apart from Kane and Son, rather, are on that list. And this is kind of amazing just to say this, but I think it's true. Like, you know, I feel like Bale's future at Tottenham kind of hinges on that game at Wick and Wanderers. Like, because if, if he doesn't play that game, why is he there? Yeah, it is. But I mean, you could say that about any other game. You could say that about Marine or Brentford or, yeah. you know, like I say, the end of this game, where if you can't even get on against Sheffield United or Fulham, then when is he going to play? You're not going to chuck him on for 20 minutes against Liverpool, are you? You're absolutely right. Like, if he's going to be of any use, he needs a run of games, and that has to start against Wickham. And, you know, Spurs have got a lot of games coming up. Obviously, the Europa League is coming back next month, which, if Spurs stay in it, is going to be a big addition to the workload. Mourinho was saying in this press conference the other day that um, the problem is that Europa League group stage games are just nowhere near the competitive level of Premier League games, and so the benefit that Bale gets from playing them is actually much less than getting in the Prem now maybe in the in the knockout rounds that will change but unless he starts playing very soon then it's uh, it's just it feels like a big waste of time and money unfortunately anyway so Spurs' next game is Wickham Wanderers next Monday evening in the FA Cup fourth round uh, and we're about to speak to uh, Duncan Alexander of Opta you might know him on Twitter as Oily Sailor uh, to talk about stats and his beloved Wickham Wanderers we're very lucky to have Duncan with us now. Hi, Duncan. How's it going? Good, thanks. Yeah, how are you? Very well, thank you. So you are best known to people who follow football on Twitter as the kind of shaman of like football stats and funny tweets about football numbers and so on at Opta. Have you got any funny football stats or information <laughs> for our, the, on the podcast that listeners might want to might want to learn and recycle and pass off as their own well I don't know Spurs aren't really a funny team this season are they? they're quite kind of um, you know quite sort of grimly mechanically serious in their sort of semi pursuit of the title and it is obviously a bit of a weird season I had a look obviously after the win at Sheffield United Spurs have got a, a record of, of 1-9 drawn 6 lost 3 which is quite a nice little triangular cascading record I had a look at other teams to have oh, yeah. that uh, record at this point of the season <laughs> and um, it was the same record Arsenal had when they won the league in 2001-02 so there's a bit of possible hope um, it's also perhaps less excitingly oh, wow. it's the same record Spurs had in 95-96 under Jerry Francis a season which also had quite a big memorable win against Manchester United but then Tottenham kind of faded and, and finished eighth so you know two potential uh, outcomes there for the team but um, you know normally this sort of that record at this stage of the season wouldn't be that great but given it's so tight you know it, it leaves Spurs still in with a with a reasonable chance. James, you got any memories? Can you compare this team to that that Jerry Francis team? <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't dare. I mean, I, I, I think that having been quite critical of Mourinho at times this season, I think it would be, uh, it would be a bit much to to compare to that team. Although, as Duncan says, they did have an incredibly good uh, win over Manchester United on New Year's Day. But yeah, the positive memories of that season would be few and far between. That's for sure. Duncan, would you generally expect, based on what we've seen so far? 
it will be a lower I mean it's clearly going to be a lower points total that wins the title like I don't know somewhere in the 80s would you also expect that even getting into the top four you might be able to do it with say 70 rather than or high mid 60s yeah yeah you'd think so um, I think Everton have got the, the all time lowest getting into the top four in 0405 with what? top of my head I think it's low 60s maybe even the 60 itself but yeah obviously recently it's been a lot higher but yeah I would think I think 70 points should should see you in or around the top four I mean one thing you mentioned to me the other day was obviously the the massive reliance so far on on Kane and Son for goals um, and I had a look actually and it was quite it's good when you look up stuff and something good turns up it's like you know hunting for gold in a river but um 73% of Spurs goals this season in the Premier League have been from Kane and Son. The only team in Premier League history to end with a higher reliance on their top two goal scorers was Sunderland in 1999-2000. was obviously with um, Kevin Phillips and Niall Quinn, who got 30 and 14, respectively. So I've not heard Kane and Son described as the new Phillips and Quinn, but, he, you know, you heard it here first. So, um, But, yeah, obviously it's not ideal to, to do that. Oh, wow, that's really interesting. We, we were talking on the pod the other day looking at, like, similar-ish examples, and we, there's, like, Hazard and Costa at Chelsea under Mourinho and to a lesser extent Vardy and Mares in the Ranieri Leicester title season but I think the the sheer level of dependence on Kane and Son is bigger even than that like earlier on the show we were talking about how Ndombele is the third top scorer in the league halfway through the season he's got three league goals nobody's going to get to six or five I think do you think that's like a, a an age thing? Like, do you think that in modern modern teams are just a bit more like City or Liverpool, who share share the goals out more evenly? Yeah, they do. I mean, obviously, we've seen the rise of you know, if teams play with false nines or they play with a with a kind of interchangeable front three, then you're obviously going to spread the goals out more. You know, we've moved a long way from you know Henri or Van Nistelrooy or Shearer just sort of mopping up all the goals. But it is quite unusual to see. You know, you often get a situation where one player and another player assist each other quite a lot, but not to the extent that Kane and Son are doing it. And I mean, I guess the, the nearest example is the record that they've already equaled, which is the, the Chris Sutton and Alan Shearer uh, record in 94-95 when they combined for, for 13 goals, which is what Kane and Son have done already. So, you know, they're, all, they're nailed on to beat that and set a, set a new high mark. And you see it in all the games against Sheffield United, you know, Kane just drops deep and it's clearly going to be, uh, you know, it's, it's clearly a very reliable route to goal. Um, and yes, yeah, some teams have managed to stem it recently, but you know, Kane's so good that he's gonna he's gonna carry on in that vein. I would think. I've just looked up that Sunderland team, and I, and I'm sure you did this, Duncan, when you when you looked at it earlier. But um, uh, so are we saying that Ndombele should be striving to be the Gavin McCann of this squad? Is that what we're saying? Very much so, yeah. And I think if, uh, if Sven Goran Eriksson was about to take over England and uh, he could, I'm sure he would pick Ndombele for one cap and see what happens. So. <laughs> I, can't even, I can't even name the rest of that. So you need, need Jonathan Wilson here to remind us who the rest of the first, that Sunderland first eleven was. Fourth was Danny Dicchio and fifth was Alex Ray. So, I mean, that gives you probably an indication. Sixth or seventh was a guy called Carsten Fredgard, who I've literally never heard of. <laughs> He's got two guys in four games, though, so good ratio. That, 
Carsten Fredgaard, Christ. Yeah, I've got no memory of Carsten Fredgaard at all. Uh, Duncan, the big news in your world this week, I imagine, is... Wick- uh, sorry, this sounds really patronising already. Uh, Wick and, <laughs> Wick and Wanderers' big game against Spurs next Monday, uh, FA Cup fourth round. Uh, are you obviously it's a shame uh, it's a shame there won't be any fans there but are you nevertheless excited Uh, yeah I mean I found the FA Cup a slightly difficult competition to get behind this season given you know it's it's probably the hardest competition to put on in the pandemic given the the range of you know like non-league clubs and and then suddenly when we cruised through the third round and, and drew spurs i was like yeah no actually i've always always rated the fa cup and, and really into it so uh <laughs> yeah i mean it's it's a big game um it's an interesting game i think because obviously it's not possibly the top of tottenham's priorities um and it probably is quite high up Wickham's because you know we're not going to be doing that much in the league. So, um, so yeah, I mean we're not as bad as people might think if they glance at the league table. We've actually been improving quite a lot recently. It has taken quite a long time to to adapt to the championship, um, and we've brought in some some new players which have which will certainly helped. So yeah, I, I think it could be closer than uh, than people might think, especially if Mourinho you know rotates the team ahead of the. Of the Premier League game Spurs have got later that week. Can you tell us a bit about the style of play from Wickham? What sort of a game do you think they're going to give Spurs? So Wickham are probably pretty famous now uh, for their fairly rudimentary style of football, which is kind of you know even when we we're in League One we had the the smallest budget, so it's been a it's been a case of trying to you know punch above our weight really, which has has worked out much more than than it probably should have. But yeah, I mean, we've got the lowest possession. Average possession in the championship. We've got the lowest pass completion. It's only just over fifty percent pass completion in the opposition half is actually under fifty percent. So, you know, it's a lot of it is direct, um, but it has changed a little bit because Akin Fenwa has been injured or or just tired this season. So we've um, we've got Ikpiazu up front, who's also tall, but he's much he's much more of a kind of um, runs the channels a bit more and he's better holding the ball up in terms of bringing other people into play. So we've we've improved a little bit in terms of uh, retention of the ball in the, in the final third. So, but yeah, I mean, Tottenham can expect a, a fairly um, big barrage of, of crosses and and, uh, and balls into the channel. So uh, obviously Sheffield United's goal uh, yesterday came from a, from across from the left and obviously that's one of our main routes with, with Joe Jacobson at, at left back. So you know potential potential hope there that's all we've got time for on this week's podcast thank you very much to duncan for joining us you can find him on twitter at oily sailor thanks also to james thank you producer tom thank you to everyone who listens and who sends us questions and tweets we love getting them we'll reply to more of them in next week's show we're going to be back at a slightly different time next week we'll record it on tuesday morning after the wickham game next monday night so we'll be back then looking back at the wickham game looking forward to the liverpool and brighton games in what looks like being another very busy and exciting week for tottenham the athletic